A Brief History of Mesopotamia, Assyria, Part 2, The Rise of the Military State. Now, the struggle for preeminence in Mesopotamia lasted for hundreds of years. It became somewhat simpler when the Hittites fell in the 12th century, and it wasn't 1120 BCE that the Assyrians reached their peak when King Tiglath-Pileser I crossed the Euphrates to capture Carchemish. This victory was short-lived, however. Immense numbers of Aramaic-speaking camel herders and traders had been moving west, and around this time the numbers spiked further still. These immigrants seized land for themselves, carving slices from the edge of the Assyrian territory, until over time the Assyrian Empire was pushed all the way back to its homeland around Asher. They remained confined in this point for nearly a century, and it was during this low period that the most dramatic changes in Assyrian society occurred. Legal tablets dating from around the rule of Tiglath-Pileser show us just how far Assyrians had come from their peaceful mercantile origins. Penalties laid out in these tablets are strikingly brutal, even when compared to Hammurabi's eye-for-an-eye policies from earlier in the millennium. As the Assyrians grew in strength and their political paranoia shaped them into the ruthless nation that they are known for today, there was a profound shift in the way one thought about the gods. For millennium, gods had been part of the world embodiment of natural forces, the winds, the rains, famine, and rivers. At this point in history, however, when the individual was being reshaped by Assyrian ideals, connection between the gods and nature fractured. Over time, the representation of the gods drew distant from the real world, eventually leading to their replacement by symbols over characters, stars, sun, moon, leaves, water, numerous other representations. As time passed, the gods became transcendent. Once a part of nature, they were now detached from it and above it. As humanity had, made, had been made by the gods and in their image, the human relationship with nature shattered as well. Once awed by natural forces, now men were the masters of nature. Semitic arrivals from the West were a part of Mesopotamian history since the very beginning. The Akkadians joined the Sumerians in prehistoric times, followed by the Amorites who established the old Babylonian Empire. The Aramaeans in Assyrian time were simply the next in a long tradition. The reasons for this mass migration remain unclear, but we can deduce that there had been a motivational push from their old homeland, likely in the form of drought or famine. The lands of Assyria were not unaffected, but they remained at least somewhat fertile, and the rainfall was greater than on the eastern Mediterranean coast. The Aramaeans probably moved into Assyrian land out of mere necessity, and upon their arrival they plundered and seized land, causing havoc across the western Assyrian borders. Faced with this mounting threat, the Assyrians realized their best hope at survival lay in development of an incontestable military. The ultimate solution to the Aramean problem was to build up a military strength, a multi-generational process, and seize the Semitic homelands, forcing the populations to remain. This goal was the final piece in the puzzle that would lead Assyria to supremacy across Mesopotamia. The cost of holding new territory must be funded by the looting of even more territories further outside borders. The Assyrians quickly came to the realization that the construction of an empire was not a simple undertaking and that it would take on a life of its own, swallowing up new territories simply to fund those already conquered. By around the 10th century BCE, the Assyrians began to swallow up not only their lost land, but all the lands of their neighbors, consuming the Aramean kingdoms in the west. By the rule of Tiglath-Pileser III in the 8th century BCE, the Assyrians had created the largest empire yet known to humankind. 
The key to their military success was their military might. The Assyrian army was the model from which all other armies were drawn right up until the invention of firearms. Where warfare had previously been unorganized, one chaotic mass fighting against another, the Assyrians were disciplined and efficient. They were the first fielded army to be equipped in iron, a far superior and cheaper metal than bronze, which had been standard at the time. They were one of the earliest armies to employ horses, not merely for the pulling of chariots, but for use as cavalry. Furthermore, they invented the military boot, replacing the sandal, which allowed them to fight on any terrain. Their armies had a highly developed command structure, which allowed discipline to be enforced. If one were to look out at an Assyrian army lined up before a city, they would see up to 50,000 armored men standing in perfect formation. The Assyrians, through several generations of hard work and social reform, had created a militarized state that would change the face of warfare forever. They also knew how to use fear to conquer their enemies. They would be proudly announcing their most violent punishments in warning to others. One Assyrian king described in great and gory detail the punishments inflicted upon chieftains who had revolted during his reign. Quote, I built a pillar over against the city gate, and I flayed all the chiefs who had revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I impaled upon pillars on stakes, and others I bound to stakes round the pillar. I made one pillar of the living and another of heads, and I bound their heads to tree trunks round about the city. Their young men and maidens I consumed with fire. The rest of their warriors I consumed with the thirst of the desert of Euphrates. Military conquests were focused to capture locations that either posed a threat or represented great strategic importance. Trade routes and towns were captured and held, as were the larger of the Assyrian neighbors, while those who appeared to be insignificant were largely left to their own devices. As a result, the empire began to take on an unusual shape, pockets of independence within its perceived borders. That said, while the Assyrians allowed some nations to retain their independence within reason, Should a state rise against it, they would wipe out the rebellious forces and annex the state immediately. Over time, more and more independent kingdoms were brought into the fold, plugging up the gaps within the Assyrian borders. At its apex, the Assyrian Empire covered an enormous area of land, stretching across the entirety of the Near East and even down into Egypt. Every free inhabitant within its borders was considered a free Assyrian citizen, for military might can only hold territory for a limited time. There was a firm ideology rooted in the Assyrian imperial structure that one had remained largely unchanged throughout the millennium. This ideology, while not as extreme and brittle as that of Neo-Sumerians, was strong enough to bind people together for hundreds of years. All Assyrian territory was part of Assyria. There was no differentiation between the original Assyrian lands and those conquered in Egypt or the south. This was important because it avoided hierarchic based upon location and decreased the chances of those in the provinces far from the seat of power feeling out of place and rising up against the imperial forces. In older empires where individuals retained their own culture and ethnic identity, organized resistance was common and occurred whenever they had been perceived weak at the center of power. By treating all lands, perhaps aside from the city of Ashur and then Nineveh, the same, the Assyrians were able to decrease the chance of rebellions and dissatisfaction. All people were subject to the same laws and the same taxation and the same burdens and the same rewards. This avoided a divide between native Assyrian population and the conquered people, the us and them perspective, which would have encouraged organized resistance. 
Whether an individual was born in Asher or born in Israel and in Babylon or Egypt, they were the same before the eyes of Asher and before the king. To enforce this, many people from conquered territories were relocated across the empire, dispersed to new locations to separate them from their cultural identity. Over time, this would destroy their old identity and replace it with exclusive loyalty to Assyria. The final piece of the Assyrian ideology web was the figurehead of the empire, both the ruler, the Assyrian emperor in Asher, and the empire personified in a single god, Asher, who existed within and behind all the primitive gods worshipped by newly conquered subjects and was accepted as the ultimate creator of all things. This was the formula for immensely powerful, long-lasting empire. However, as with all things of this scale, it had flaws. The equality amongst all citizens of Assyria and the dispersion of people across the land would eventually lead to an imbalance in ethnicity. The immense influx of Arameans from the west and the conquest of their cities and nations led to the native Assyrians becoming a minority with their own empire. The Akkadian language was lost to all but the scholars and replaced by Aramaic, which would remain in use until being supplanted by Arabic in the 7th century. As such, this imperial principle of inclusion and equality would spell the end of a culture, or at the very least a millennial-old linguistic tradition built upon Sumerian and Akkadian languages. Mesopotamia had conquered the world, or a significant part of it, yet the world had then conquered Mesopotamia. So next time we'll look at the decline of the culture, and then we'll also be looking at some of them that came after it, briefly. Now the sources for this, The Ancient Semitic Civilizations by Muscati, The Ancient Near East by Cyrus Gordon, The Might That Was Assyria by Sags, Mesopotamia, Assyrians, Sumerians, Babylonians, Dictionary of Civilization, and The Oxford History of the Biblical World by Coogan. So I hope you enjoyed that, and as always, don't forget to come by the website sumahistorica.com or historyaccordingtobob.com and ask a question, leave a comment, check out our merchandise, and if you like what we're doing, please feel free to support us. Thank you very much.